0: Wow, thank you, it's, thank you for that welcome and uh, it's great to be here, it's great to be back at Open Heaven, that's a few years since I've uh, been here and uh, I've always thoroughly enjoyed coming and being with you. In fact, I've been with you more than you realise because uh, during uh, the lockdown, uh, <coughs> We, uh, my wife and I, searched the internet, uh, and uh, we eventually came to Open Heaven, and we haven't left. So we've been with you. uh, We've been with you. Thoroughly enjoyed uh, participating in the services together. I just want to, uh, I just want to say how much I've been blessed by the worship team and the worship here. it's, it is wonderful when you have a worship team that worships. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, we, don't, we shouldn't go home and sit around at lunchtime and discuss how the worship team went because they are facilitators. We should discuss how we went because they are facilitating us to come before God and to worship him. Uh, That's exactly what takes place here. I just love the presence of God in this place, so that's good. And I also want to honour pastors, John and Kerry. Uh, uh, I don't know whether you realise what you have here. We searched the internet, and you have the real thing here. Thank you, Lord. And I just just love uh, the fact that uh, that your pastors and the church are on fire for Jesus and you just want to honour him and worship him and that's very, very obvious uh, as, you, as we've been you know, participating with you and so don't stop, keep going and uh, that's really good. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray before we share the word together. Oh, Father, you are awesome. You're so wonderful. How can we ever thank you for who you are and what you have done for us? We thank you that you were willing to send your son, our Lord Jesus, to come and live his life and show us how to live to die for us upon the cross, that we might be forgiven, to rise from the dead so that we might participate and experience for ourselves the risen power in our own lives and through our lives, and that you've sent your beautiful Holy Spirit to live within us. And this morning we pray, Holy Spirit, come, come, Manifest yourself in our midst. We invite you to take these moments ahead and fulfil whatever you want to fulfil this morning. We give you permission to do whatever you want to do. We say, look, come Lord Jesus, come. Come Holy Spirit, come. And let us hear only your voice this morning. And we do not want to only be challenged. We want to be changed as a result of being in your presence. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I heard just recently of a CEO of a large company who called a meeting together of all his employees and the room was filled with all these people. And he was in the middle of lecturing them and giving them a piece of his mind, uh, which he couldn't afford to lose. And, uh, a, and a voice from the back made some smart aleck comment. And he stopped and he said, uh, who said that? And he wouldn't go on until someone owned up and. Uh, A young guy in his 20s up the back, owned up. And he said, come down here. And very sheepishly, the young man came down. And he said to him, how much do you earn? How much money do you earn a week? Oh, he said, "Uh, about $400. He said, stand right there and don't move until I come back. And he left the meeting, came back a few minutes later. And he went up to the young man and he said, here, here's four weeks' pay, $1,600. Now get out of here, get out of this building and I don't want to ever see you again. So the young man took the money and made his way up the back and out the door. When he had gone, the CEO said, by the way, does anyone know what that man did around here? And someone from the back called out, yes. He's the pizza delivery boy from the Domino's down the road. Now the other point of that story is that it's important in life that we make considered decisions. Yeah. <laughs> and this morning, I want to I want to bring before you from from the Lord something which should cause you to make a considered decision. And uh, so I've only, I've only spoken in the morning here once before. And uncharacteristically for me, because the prophetic isn't my strongest gifting, I found myself prophesying that God was going to do something very significant and special through this congregation, through this church. And I believe God's going to bring revivals for this church. And, uh, And because you're a church who already... I fall out, flat out for the Lord. Uh, many churches, sadly, and I, and I love the church, but many churches are clubs and looking inward. And I know that you're a church that's looking outward for what God can do. And uh, so, my topic this morning is: God wants you to be the answer to the salvation of this city and this nation. God wants you and is inviting you, each one of you individually and all of you as a corporate congregation to be the salvation of this city, starting in Liverpool, reaching to Sydney, reaching to New South Wales, reaching to Australia, reaching to the world oh, thank you. and the world is represented here. It's a good, wonderful congregation which represents the whole world. So you should have a passion and a vision, not just for here, but for what God can do through you that will multiply throughout the world. So I want to start off because uh, to give you a verse, which I think is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It's Ezekiel 22 and verse 30 and God the Father is talking and he says so I sought for a man and uh, <laughs> in this that man includes women of course so I sought for a man or woman among them who would make up a, make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it but I found none isn't that sad God is looking out at that time, and we'll look at the background of that in a second. But he's looking out and he said, I sought for a man or a woman among them who would stand in the gap to make up the hedge. But I found none. He didn't want to destroy the land. He wanted someone who he could who would stand up for him, whom he could use. And he's looking for men and women today who will stand in the gap for him that he can use. If we look at that verse in its context, the children of Israel were in exile because of the sins that they had committed and God allowed them then to be taken into captivity. And, uh, and in this, if you look at Ezekiel 22, there's a long list of Israel's sins. And uh, we'll just read a few verses from there, verse 17 of Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel writes, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Because you have all become dross, therefore, behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem, as men gather silver, bronze, iron, ore, lead, and tin into the midst of the furnace, to blow fire on it and to melt it. So I will gather in you my anger and in my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to Jerusalem, you are are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. So, and then he goes on and he talks about the condition of the land. First of all, he talks about the prophets. They're like a roaring lion, tearing the prey. They have devoured the people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in their midst. Then he talks about the priests. He said, they have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have uh, not distinguished between the holy and the, and the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. And then he talks about a princes. He said a princes in the midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood and to destroy people and to get dishonest gain. And then he goes back to the prophets who have said, thus saith the Lord when the Lord had not spoken. And then he said, finally, the people in the land have used oppressions and committed robbery and mistreated the poor and needy and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. And in that context, he says, so I sought for a man or woman among them who would stand in the gap to make up the hedge, to, to, to stand on behalf of God but i found none that's so sad but as you look at that passage does that uh, have you you heard things like that going on anywhere else yeah, it, sounds like, you know. it sounds a little bit like our society doesn't it, yes, it does. see the uh, even the even the religious leaders are not standing up we have seen in the last three or four decades in our country and and throughout the whole world, actually, uh, as, as we have become deeper and deeper and more corrupt in the ways of the, the world, as our morality has slid down and down and down and down, the church leaders have been very silent. And things are at such a point now where... We are wringing our hands and wondering how it happened and yet we haven't spoken up. And I believe God is saying it's time, it's time to speak up. I'm, se- I'm, I'm seeking for men and women who are willing to stand in the gap who will, who will honour me and speak on my behalf. I'm looking for more Israel allows who would, no matter what the cost, no matter what the cost, will stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and honour him and for what it says, and for what it says in his word. I sought for a man or a woman among them. See, God is looking for a man or a woman. He's looking for anyone. He'll use anyone who'll say, use me. So, because, because God wants to heal the land. God is merciful. He will forgive anybody who will, who will fall before him and repent. So God sought for a man to stand in the, in, in the gap. And so history has repeated itself today and we see a, a situation. Now, the, the interesting thing is that whenever the world get, in the past has got to the point that we have nearly got to, God... Has found that he needs to destroy the land, and he doesn't want to destroy the land. And it's only if God's people rise up and come to Him. And yet, as we look at that, it's it's not what it's not. What can we do about that? Because God wants to use you, and so uh, uh, how how can you know, can, You say, as I I mentioned this, you're saying, well, I want to stand in the gap, but how can I stand in the gap? Can God use me? Well, yes, God can use you. God's in the habit of using, in fact, right through history, whenever God has done anything, he's used a person. He's used a man or a woman. See, when God wanted to lead the children out of Israel, out of Egypt into Israel... He chose a man, Moses. Uh, How many of you have heard of Shamgar? Almost no one. Okay. Well, there's a little verse in Judges 3, verse 31. And this is what it This is all the Bible says about this man in one verse. It says, After Ehud came, Shamgar, son of Anoth, who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He too saved Israel. So Shamgar, all he did that's recorded in history is that he struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. An ox goad is a little hooked stick that you use to keep the oxen in line. And he killed 600 Philistines with an ox go. And it says, he too saved Israel. Shamga, we've never heard of him. But he started where he was. He used what he had. And he did what he could. And he saved the nation. Wow. See, and God will use anyone. If we're willing to start where we are. And use what we have that God's given us and do what we can. That's amazing. So there's a man that you've never heard of who saved a nation. So if God can do that with Shamgar, he can do that with you. I mean, just imagine it. I mean, we haven't got time to go into it in detail, but just imagine here is is Shamgar, all he's got is an ox goat. And how do you kill 600 Philistines? One by one. And he sneaks up behind them with the ox go. Doom! That's one down. it's Five, 599 to go. Wow. And he saved Israel. Wow. So God can use you, if he can use Shemgar. He can definitely use you, so and and you say, well, what? Well, that was back in the Bible. Have you got any modern examples? Well, uh, we were invited some years ago to go to a uh, to, to go and help uh, an evangelist in a uh, in a uh, crusade, uh, an evangelistic conference crusade, in a place called Kaiwaka on the North Island of Queensland. Kaiwaka is about an hour and a half north of Auckland. And if you drive through and, and blink, you'll miss it. And when we got to this, into this conference, we were late, yeah, and we were late and we got there. And uh, we got in there and there were less than 30 people there. And our friend who was a Canadian, some of you remember him, Bob Brasset, uh, he... Uh, I'm thinking to myself, Bob, what are you doing coming all the way to Canada for less than 30 people? And, uh, and I asked him actually, he said, well, they invited me to come, so I came and they said they're going to trust God to find the finances, so I believed them and so here we are. Well, on the last morning of that uh, three-day little crusade, uh, a group of ladies came up from a town called Walkworth, about half an hour away, and they brought with them, almost dragged along, a lady who, who was in a terrible state. Uh, her husband had been badly uh, dealt with by his company and she for several years had been in deep depression and uh, and just had huge problems, and she did not want to go that morning, but she came along. And, and uh, during the meeting, uh, when Bob shared the message, then he had a ministry time, and Julie went forward, and Julie was totally zapped by the Holy Spirit and when she came up off the floor after about half an hour she was totally dramatically completely healed totally transformed and and we'd gone partly on that trip because God had prophesied that we would be involved in starting healing rooms in New Zealand and so we were looking around for possible contacts and uh, we uh, we'd been given a list of people, and none of them seemed to be right, and and uh, and that was fine. And, and and Bob had asked me to talk about healing rooms the, just after morning tea, and so the next time we went across, this Julie appeared, amongst a lot of other people, but she was always hungry. She was the hungry one, and and this went on for. Over the course of a year or so, and and you know all the all the big important people that we've been linked to uh, just weren't responding, and and I'm and I'm praying about this, and and, and Julie keeps popping up, yeah. and I'm thinking, Lord, surely not Julie, surely not Julie. I've told Julie knows this story, so I'm not. Telling tales, and because uh, Julie, Julie's just a lovely person, but she sort of comes across as a bit of a flippity gibbet at first, and uh, she won't mind me saying that either. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, and so, it's, but finally the Lord said she's the one. So we went, went across. We did the training, and Julie starts healing rooms. And, uh, and then, well, the end of the story is there are now between 50 and 60 healing rooms in New Zealand. After a year and a half, I discovered that Julie hadn't read any of the manuals on how to do it. Yes, well, she was just, she was just, she was just silly enough and simple enough to ask the Holy Spirit what to do. And, and Julie, ever since then, has a ministry throughout New Zealand, not only with healing rooms but speaking at meetings all over the place, leading people to Jesus, seeing them filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and she's, she's lovingly known as the mother of the nation. So God has taken this, this lady who was in a total mess and given her a national ministry and used her mightily. So God God can use you. All you have to do, the issue is not whether you've got ability. The issue is whether you're available. God blesses availability more than he, He'll give you the ability. That's not the problem. He's looking. In fact, he's looking for fat people. Fat stands for faithful, available, and teachable. They're the people that God uses. So, so there you go. So, yeah. I have another story about someone who was used. Uh, uh, before one of the the well I think it was the sixty eight Billy Graham crusade that dates me doesn't it that uh, I was asked to go we had a plumber in our church and he had a, a guy who was working as an apprentice for him and uh, he he came the plumber came to me and said, "He and his wife are interested in, you know I think you should go around and see them well, they were a very simple couple uh, in fact, Max was brought up. By being shoved around from relative to relative and, and even spent a lot of time in the Royal National Park in his youth and they used to survive by stealing that's how they got food and so almost nil education and I'll never forget this couple because I went around and shared the gospel with them and they're sitting there and, when, and, and I used to use an illustration called the bridge illustration with, you know, God on one side, a man on the other and a big chasm in between and Jesus is the bridge across. Well, I got on explaining the side which was sin and man uh, and uh, I got halfway through and they're saying to me, come on, hurry up, show us how to get across. Show us how to get across. <laughs> we want to get there. And so they gave their lives to Jesus and it was just I mean just simple folks the, and 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 they came to church, they arrived late, this was a Saturday, the next morning they arrived at church. they brought their parents with them, and they brought the grandparents with them, and they arrived halfway through the service, and of course, there were no seats up the back, so, which is usually the way in church isn't it and And so they all wandered down the front looking around. <laughs> And and everybody's thinking, why? What have we got here? And so they, but they were just so transformed by the Lord. And then Max heard the call of God to go to New Tribe's mission and do the training to be a missionary. And I had to write a reference. And uh, I haven't described this well enough to give you the full picture, but in the reference I put, in the natural, there is no way that Max would ever become a missionary, but I have a sneaking suspicion that God is in this. Yeah. And so he took twice as long to go through a New Tribes training as anybody else had ever done. He ended up teaching theology in New Tribes training, by the way. But then he and his wife Lynn went to Kalimantan in the, Indonesia, and. <laughs> they went to a tribe that had never heard the gospel. They came back three years later and I said, Max, tell me what happened. He said, well, he said, I I can guarantee you that there is a minimum of 250 people who'd never heard of Jesus before who now have committed their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. So God can use anyone. God can use you, it's a matter of being available and say, Lord, I'm available, and see what he can do. But, so, I'm going to ask you to make a considered decision as to whether you will answer the call to be a man or a woman who will stand in the gap for Jesus. So, that was God's frustrated call But God's remedy for a sick city and nation is to be found in 2 Chronicles 7.14, a verse which some of you will know. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from my wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin, and heal their land. Wow. So that's, in in the context, this was was a situation where uh, Solomon was dedicating the temple. The temple had finally been built. They were no longer in the tabernacle. They were now in the temple. And... (laughs) And, they'd had, and in Second Chronicles 6, Solomon prays a prayer of dedication for the temple. He stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. And, uh, and, and he stood, as he stood there, he listened to the prayer that he prayed. Lord God of Israel... There is no God in heaven on earth like like you, who keeps your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David. Now, my God, I pray, let your eyes be open. Let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, your resting place in you you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed Redeemer. Remember the, the mercies of your servant David. What a day they had. And when Solomon, when Solomon finished praying at the dedication of the temple in, in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 1, it says, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Now, now this is the context that we're coming in. What They just had an enormous day. The church, or the... It, Children of Israel were rejoicing. The temple had been built. It was the opening of the temple, the dedication. And as Solomon prayed, God miraculously from heaven sent fire down and consumed the sacrifices that were on the altar in the temple. Wow, what a day that must have been. And then then in verse 12 of of chapter 7, all of that is over and Solomon's trying to get to sleep and the Lord appears to him by night and says to him, I've heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Well, when I shut up the heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people... Who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Wow. So, so what is, I believe God is saying this to us this morning. You're in a place where where God is blessing you. You're seeing God do Great things. The presence of God is here. Everything's beautiful. It's wonderful. And God is saying, Yeah, you know, it's it's in the midst of a good of a of a good season. And God is saying to you, If my people, if it's conditional, see, revival is conditional. There's a big if at the beginning of that promise. If, my people, are you willing? If, my people, who are called by my name. Wow. (laughs) See, revival doesn't start with the unsaved. Revival starts with God's people. It starts right here. We have to be revived. We have to be reformed. God has to do something in our lives, in our hearts, because we've been contaminated by the world. And the, and the, the thing that really, that really concerns me, I went to a meeting the other day uh, at where there was supposed to be a time of prayer, but we prayed for tiddlywinks. We didn't pray for revival we didn't pray for the nation. We didn't pray for God to do great and mighty things because that's what's on his heart. I hate going to prayer meetings where we pray for our Gertz toenail to be healed. I mean, we're praying, we're praying for peanuts. God wants us to pray for continents. Amen. see, Nations. Nations. God, God, he says, call unto me. And I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know not. So don't pray too small. Pray big. He's, he's a big God. And he, want, he wants to do great and mighty things. And the reason he can't is because we don't ask him to. We're praying for Aunt Gert's toenail. See? And it'll get healed anyway. See? Oh, boy. It's uh, better go back to the notes. Uh, if my if if my people who are called by my name, oh, we are the Jesus people. We wear the name of Jesus, See? and we we need to. St- are we? But are we really Jesus people, or are we just? church goers no, no, no. or are we pew sitters see there are so many see those who are called by the name of Jesus who are Jesus people who are Jesus followers following Jesus means being a disciple of Jesus yeah. in, the, in the in the early church there was no such thing as converts the great commission doesn't say go and make converts the Great Commission says, "Go and make disciples. and a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. Uh, it is a total commitment. It is not just show up on Sunday and do what I like on Monday. In fact, following Jesus is our vocation That's our job. that's our full time, that's our full-time job. What we do between Monday and Friday is simply to put bread on the table. That's not our calling. Now, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. We do have a calling to our secular employment. But our number one high calling Amen. is as a disciple of Jesus Christ to follow him and to be his disciple. And we're, and that's what determines everything else in our life and the way we do it. So, and and... And if you want to know the standard of discipleship, just take a look at a few frightening verses of Jesus' words in Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother wife and mother and children and brothers and sisters and, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. What does that mean? Well, that means that Jesus is first in our life. It doesn't mean that we actually hate our mother and father, but it means so that sometimes they will think that we're neglecting them because Jesus comes first. And that's a price we pay. We don't do that on purpose, but that sometimes God puts us in a position where we have to make a decision but to seek first the kingdom of God. Amen. Wow. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. See, that's, that's the sort of follower. That's the, that's the man or woman that Jesus is looking for to stand in the gap. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. Oh, it's getting worse, isn't it? <laughs> See, God hates pride more than any other sin. Are we willing to humble ourselves? What does that mean? It means to follow follow Jesus rather than my own, I, my own plans. If my plans get in the way with what Jesus wants, Jesus' plans come first. It means I'm willing to be open and transparent the way I really am. See, and that's... We, we don't live in a world where that's encouraged. I mean, you just watch. If a politician makes the mistake, sad that it's a mistake, of actually being humble and admitting a mistake, he's pilloried. He's given a hard time. And so, we, so our national leaders spend their time trying to hide any mistakes and act as if they haven't got any. And then that follows down into business. That's the way to do business. Don't quite admit that you... But Jesus is calling followers to be humble. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Yeah. So are we willing to be... Being humble is being real. Just being real. I am the way I am. And and that means I want, you know, I'll need prayer. Because... Uh, and I'll need grace as well I need, and a lot of mercy. But I found that if I'm willing, if I'm willing to humble myself, if I'm willing to accept grace and forgiveness, then I find other people respond the same way. And that's the way the fellowship of the believers should be because all of us, all of us are sinners, all of us have blown it. All of us have got some mess that needs cleaning up and if we have't at the moment we will tomorrow. <laughs> and, and we have to share that share our burdens with one not not that it's not as a, can, the devil can be shrewd and get that to be a characteristic which is we're proud of, but when it's, when it's needed in our lives to humble ourselves and to pray we need to come. that's the key. See, If you're willing to stand in the gap, you don't have to have ability, you have to be available to to pray. We need to come together. Every revival has been birthed in prayer without exception. See, it starts in the upper room. Prayer is the most powerful weapon system known to man. Prayer is not a ministry, it is the ministry. Prayer is 95% of the battle. The rest is just a mopping up process. So it's, and by the way, we're in a spiritual battle and the enemy will do anything he possibly can to stop us praying. I mean, have you noticed how hard it is to come to a prayer meeting sometimes? I mean, we never feel like it. It, you You always feel sick, you feel lousy, you feel tired. Oh, prayer meeting, I don't want to go to prayer And when you get there, God comes down (laughs) and you go home floating on air because it was such a wonderful time, see. So we've got to recognise it's the battle that's going on and we've got to push through the battle in order to win the victory. Wow. So if we humble ourselves and pray and seek my face, to seek the face of the Lord, to have a lifestyle of intimate relationship with him, that he's our best friend, that we spend time with him. Uh, we can liken it to the marriage situation. Uh, you know, we we have wonderful times of fellowship together in marriage. Some Some are more intimate than others, but... Through the day, there is that constant relationship that we have. It's a love relationship. Well, it's the same relationship that we're to have with the Lord. To seek his face, to always be coming before him, to be living a lifestyle where we're in his presence all the time. And and that that's not something that we ever totally perfect in this life. But we but, but for that to become a lifestyle. And to get to the point where we're in communion with Him, all day, every day, even to the point—I mean, even to the point of which way we go, which way we drive. What? Who knows what God has? who, Who knows what? Yeah, who knows what God's got around the corner for us? Are we alert to that? Wow! So we need to pray and seek His face, and we need to turn from our wicked ways. We need to repent of our sins. We need to clean up our act. And if, uh, and if we're having trouble cleaning up our act, let's get some help from someone we can trust to pray over us and, and be our brother or our sister to share the burden with us. So, so God wants to do that. And he says, so he, this is what he wants to do. This is a description of real church, actually. People who, God's people who humble themselves and, and pray and seek God's face and, and turn from their wicked ways, seeking God. That's, that's, that's actually church. That's, that's, that's really what it is. So, this is real discipleship. So, so, are you willing to make a considered individual, a considered decision as individuals, as a church, that you're going to be a church? that does these things specifically, that comes and prays together to take hold of God because this is a promise. And we come now to God's response to those who will stand in the gap because he says, if my people do these things, he says, then, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Wow. Now, the, it's, actually, if you as a church will commit yourself to, fu- to fulfil the first part of this promise, then you've actually got God with his hand tied behind his back. He has no option but to answer because he's promised it. He said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked... If we do all of that, then he says, then, he says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. It's as simple as that. And that's what God wants to do. And the challenge this morning is, are you as a church, are we as a church... Willing to pay the price in order for God to do that. Because if you do that, then His outpouring is assured. It's not even a question mark. There may be some element of timing to it, but God must answer that prayer because that's what's on His heart to do. Because it's on His heart that everybody should come to repentance. See, that's God. Whoa, it's awesome. You see, and that's that's how the early church started. See, every revival started in prayer without exception. The early church, the 120 were in the upper room and prayed. And they prayed. They were told to do nothing until God came along, until the Holy Spirit showed up. And so they, they met in the upper room and they prayed. Those prayer meetings must have been something... And, you know, that group of people is about the same as the group of people in this room this morning. In order to transform Australia, in order to transform the world even, can start right here. Can start right here. That's that's what God is offering us. What an offer. I mean, just awesome. Absolutely awesome. And so... And, and because that's what Jesus promised in, in Acts one eight. But you shall receive power after the, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. First of all, in Jerusalem, right where you are, right here in Liverpool, and then in Samaria, the rest of Sydney, enemy territory, uh, <laughs> and then uh, and then Samaria, Judea, Samaria, uh, where we go to. Uh, I've lost it now. (laughs) Anyway, to, to to the uttermost parts of the earth, and God will do it. That's awesome. And so they waited and prayed, and the first revival took place on the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, And then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow! Wow! Can you imagine what that room must have been like? But he wants to do it again. He wants to do it again. See, I mean. And what was the, God's response? Well, the people's, you know, they went down the street, all, all speaking in tongues and rejoicing drunk in the Holy Spirit at nine o'clock in the morning. And they were accused of being drunk. Yeah, that's right. i got a question for you. How long since you left church and people accused you of being drunk? I mean, that's what, that's... See, that's what church should be like. When you leave church, people should accuse you of being drunk. Otherwise, you haven't had a good service. Okay. Wow. See, see we, we think we've we, we got so used to being prim and proper in church. Bless you, brother. See? when god shows up it can be a bit messy you like messy that one praise god okay so so and then peter stood up peter stood up and preached a, a sermon that he hadn't prepared you yeah. and 3000 people came to the lord who were baptized and the church was started that's what god does when we when we stay out of it trying to organize things and we allow God to do it. But all we have to do is to come and humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from his wicked way. And then he will do that. See, it's the power of prayer. Uh, uh, in, a, in a very old, very old uh, book, but a famous one called Power Through Prayer by Ian Bounds, he said what the church needs today, and he said it then, it's still true now, what the church teaches today is not more machinery or better, not new organisations or more novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use. Men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men and women. He does not come on machinery, but on men and women. He does not anoint plans, but men and women. Men and women of prayer. Wow. And so, and so and so, we've seen it down through the ages. We saw the same principle with Solomon that we've just seen in the book of Acts. But we see it, you know, the Hebridean revival in the Hebrides Islands above Scotland. start That came about with the prayers of two ladies and others eventually joined them but God answered their prayer. Uh, the In Argentina, the Argentinian revival started as a result of prayer. There was prayer in a Bible college where students prayed and, and God answered the prayer. And I had the privilege of visiting the revival in Argentina, two years running. And to see what God would do when people come, a group like this would come together and pray and not let go until God answers. So I went and saw a church of 47,000 people, not all there at once. They they bought a, an old newsreel theatre which uh, seated you know, probably uh, five or 600 people. And... <clears throat> And uh, it was quite something because we, we arrived in a group and, and it took 20 minutes for them to, to order enough people to leave the service for us to go and sit down. And we had to wade wave through the aisles and every single person in the building wanted to hug us and greet us before we could get to our seat. But church went on continuously for, for seven days a week For an hour at a time there was worship and a message, worship and a message every hour and the only time the church was closed was between 12 midnight and 1am so that they could clean the place out. But for every other hour during the week it was there, a church of 47,000 people. Wow. Uh, out Out of that revival rose up a man by the name of Carlos Anacondia. A businessman. And he was he would preach the gospel and as people walked past the meeting outside they they would be delivered from demons and fall on the ground under the power of the Holy Spirit, let alone what was happening inside. And I went to a lunch where Carlos spoke and he apologized because he couldn't pray for everyone individually, but he said you'll you'll all just have to You'll just have to uh, just stand up and come out here, and so I got up and rushed out, and I was right in the front row, and I was pleased that finally I was in the front row. And I could get the goods, and, but there are a lot of Japanese pastors there who uh, who are used to pushing people on trains, so their politeness was about the same. So. They knocked me out of the way so I was in the third row and so I had a really dirty, rotten attitude. you know. And when Carlos prayed, he just blew. Like oh, Holy Spirit. And the two rows of Japanese pastors fell down and knocked me down with them. And I was a madder still. I'm going, Lord, I wanted to get the real thing. I didn't want to be knocked down by Japanese pastors. I wanted the Holy Spirit. And I've been on the floor about 30 seconds when suddenly wham, whew, and I couldn't move for about two hours. See, and I mean, the power of the Holy Spirit in that place was quite something. And it, so, just to give you a picture of something, I just want to give you a taste of what God can do. And that's what I said. I went to a service which children took, little kids. Took the whole service, preached like crazy and people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then we went and visited a jail. And if this, Oh, boy. We, uh, we went... I'm not sure where to start with this. But we went to this jail and uh, we were, had all our passports taken and all the rest of it and there were about all, all a busload of us And they took us into a huge gymnasium area which was all just concrete walls, concrete floor, huge area. And they had some forms for us to sit on. The place was empty. And then uh, one by one the prisoners would come in and just kneel in prayer. Over 700 prisoners came into that hall. And the... And the power of God went from zero to high voltage in the place, to the point where your hair was standing on the back of your neck. And then, and then the well, we found out that a third of the jail had come to Jesus 700. And, And the jail was divided into different cell blocks, and each cell block had a pastor, and they used to pray, they used to get the unbelievers in and they'd pray over them at night and lead them to the Lord and and they had a senior pastor over the lot. and he told his story. in fact the, the re, there was a pastor who left his job and got a, jo- a job in the administration at the jail because God had led him to do that. See here's Yeshamgar. and and he had that job for several years and wanted to make inroads in the jail. And nothing. Every they had a tunnel to go into the jail, and every time he went through it, he was physically ill. That's the evil opposition that was there. But finally, a pastor in the city uh, committed some crime, and he got went in as a prisoner. So there were two of them, and so they got to pray together, and then. Gradually they had two or three converts and they would meet together at lunchtime and pray and all the, the drug overlords and the other prisoners would make fun of them and do all sorts of unmentionable things to them and there was one prisoner who was uh, just totally possessed by evil spirits to the point where he was bent over and the senior pastor told us this story. And and uh, finally, the druggies said to the Christians, "If you can convert that bloke, because because he would make it hard for the druggies as well, if you can convert that bloke, we'll leave you alone." So they ended up sharing the gospel with him and delivering him. And and uh, to the point, to the point where this fellow's wife. He became a Christian and, and this why he wanted, he wanted to make peace with his wife and, he, and his wife didn't want to come to visit him. But eventually she relented and she didn't recognise him. And the senior pastor said, that is my testimony. I am that man. Wow. And at the end of it, at the end of the time, he said, now look around you. There's 700 prisoners here any crime you can think of has been committed by someone in this room he said now look around there is not one guard in sight." he says that's the difference that jesus christ can make wow so that's some of the things that can happen out of revival i've seen it with my own eyes so i know it's true i know it can happen and if it can happen in argentina it can happen in Australia. It can happen right here in Liverpool, yeah. and God wants to do it. Yeah. So, if my people, and it all, yeah. You know, oh, what's the time? I have no idea. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I'll tell you one more story, of a, another example of a sham A man by the name of Jack Griffin, Jack. And his wife were invited to the 59 Graham Crusade at the showground. And uh, they got separated when they got there, so they weren't sitting together. They had never, ever, ever heard the gospel before. Jack was a businessman and he left school when he was 14. If you met Jack, he had a foul mouth, uh, he couldn't put two sentences together without a grammatical error. And if he wrote, it was a mixture of capital letters and small letters uh, all over the place. And the grammar was something else. Uh, When the invitation was given, Jack, Jack and his wife May both responded to the invitation. They came down from the stand and met each other at the gate as they went out onto the arena. And hand in hand they went out and gave their lives to Jesus totally transformed uh, they went to church for the, the, the preacher was on the ball and they went to the, the follow-up classes at the church and Jack's first question was <laughs> what time does this finish because oh <laughs> I got my television program to, <laughs> and then the second thing and then the then the then the pastor says now turn to the Gospel of John. So Jack says, excuse me, sir, is that in the New Testament or the Old Testament? Uh, I mean, that's how much Jack knew. And they had so much hard time reading the Bible, they went and bought the little golden books of Bible Bible stories and they would sit in their kitchen and read the Bible stories together. Uh, Two years later... Uh, The Leighton Ford Crusade was coming to Sydney and uh, a fellow by the name of Bob Glockner did the counselling classes and he had a first meeting where he was being introduced, an introductory meeting at the Town Hall and the Archbishop and all the hobnobs were at the the stage When Bob Glockner and they'd asked Jack to come along to give his testimony and when it was all over no one was talking to the guest speaker. And so Jack went over and introduced himself. And Bob Glockner had prayed that God would give him one man that he could invest his life in to make a permanent impact in Australia. And so and so, uh, he got. The, and Jack showed some interest in, and Bob said, well, uh, if you'd like to know more, uh, come and meet with me. Uh, be at my hotel room at five o'clock in the morning. Now Bob didn't think much of Jack because Jack was 49 at the time and he was looking for a young bloke. Uh, and the young blokes, but they didn't, they couldn't keep up the five o'clock in the morning. Whenever, whatever, what, whenever Bob looked around, he always only had Jack. So he kept, he just kept speaking into Jack's life, teaching him how to how to have a quiet time, how to witness, how to have a Bible study to reach others for Jesus and he did it all, eventually he did it all by mail and Jack just prayed and asked God in the way that he met Bob, that, Bob, that God would give him some men that he could invest his, lives in, his life in. Well he ended up with, this is Jack who finished school at 14, can't put two sentences together without a grammatical area and God gives him two pastors and two PhD students. I was one of those pastors. Totally changed my life. This man, who became a convert at 59 Crusade, and I was a counsellor, became my spiritual mentor because I wanted what Jack had in his life. And I was in theological college, but it was Jack who took me out in Hyde Park in Sydney and showed me how to share the gospel with someone. Today, and, and no, this is, you know, it's all glory to God. Amen. What the story of it. But that, I ended up starting a ministry at Sydney University. Uh, the other pastor started a ministry at the University of New South Wales. Then we both, I went to Canberra, he went to Adelaide, and... Uh, Just leave that there for a minute. The other two, the PhD students, ended up going to India and starting a ministry in India, which is multiplied like crazy and still going today, Uh, and have have both had a ministry all around the world. Uh, And three weeks ago, I went to Canberra and I met with some of the people that we ministered to there. Uh, and And I'm just going to pick one of them, was a Hansard reporter in Parliament who came to the Lord and he ended up taking over the ministry that we'd started at the Royal Military College, Duntroon. Today there are officers in the Australian Army all around Australia who came to the Lord as the result of the life of this Hansard reporter. He's just one ordinary guy, but God has used him... And he, I mean, he never misses my birthday. I hardly remember my own, let alone him. He never, he, he, he's the godfather to all their kids. He goes to all their weddings. He's, he just loves them to bits and has an enormous ministry. Uh, and his name is Robin. And God has just used it. See, I just used that. That all started. And the thing I missed out on in Canberra, when we went to Canberra for a whole year... Several mornings a week, a group of four or five of us would go to the top of Mount Aisley and pray for the city. See, God answered the prayer. And it happens every time. In the church I pastored at Thornley, we, we had six weeks at the beginning of one year where we had a half night of prayer every night for six weeks. And the church grew from less than 100 to 450 in 12 months. See, God answers prayer. That's all. That's that's what we need to do. Are we willing to be a band of people who will answer the promise, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then... Well, I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Will you make a considered decision to be part of that? That's what God wants. And if you will, God will bring about a mighty move of the Spirit. He will bring about revival. He'll start with us and it will spread to the point where it will only be when we get to eternity in heaven that we'll have any idea of what God has done in answering that prayer. Wow. Let's all stand, shall we? Maybe the worship team should come up.